All right, Exodus chapter 19. Last week we um, started um, and just just uh, uh, began to look at uh, the difference between religion and the gospel. And how many of you would agree, uh, and hopefully you understood this before last week, it was just reinforced, how many of you agree religion and the gospel, two totally different things? Religion um, wearies you. We looked at this last week. Religion wearies you. Um, religion is about putting the front um, and, and all over this world, every, every country you go to, there is, um, you'll find religion. And um, you'll find, though, that um, religion doesn't satisfy, that religion doesn't fill a person. Uh, the only thing that can satisfy is the gospel. And there's a difference. There's a difference between the two. And, and Paul, we saw last week, Paul, he puts right in the middle, and it's not just in the book of Romans that we looked at, but you'll find it's kind of a theme in some of Paul's uh, writing uh, that Paul puts right in the middle of, of his writing that word therefore, or he uses that word therefore. And what he's doing is he's, he's, he's spending time diving into the gospel doctrine, what is the gospel? How does someone uh, accept the gospel? How 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 can you how can you be saved? Because the gospel is not just turning over a new leaf. The gospel is well. I've tried everything else. Let me try this as well. That's not what the gospel is. That's what religion is. You just keep going until you find something, only realizing there's nothing. You're left as empty as you were. Matter of fact, you're probably even more empty after you've finished your search because you're so unfulfilled. But Paul, Paul, he, he, in his, in his epistles, he loves to spend several chapters just diving into gospel, diving into the doctrine of the gospel. And then he doesn't leave us there though. He spends several chapters then on the gospel application because once you're saved, it does something from the inside out. And we talked about that last week. It's not just, well, I prayed and so now I have fire insurance. And, and obviously the gospel saves a person and, and somebody trusts Christ in that, that secures them a, a place in heaven. But, but once a person saved, the Holy Spirit of God dwells inside of them. You're filled with the Spirit of God. And if someone has the Holy Spirit of God inside of them, they're not the same person anymore. There's a battle that takes place. The old nature that still is there, but the Spirit of God now speaks with you and, and wants to fellowship with you and guide you and direct you. That can't be accomplished by religion. The Holy Spirit of God can only indwell a person once that person has trusted Christ as their Savior. And so the benefit of the gospel is the Spirit of God lives inside of us. And Paul, Paul speaks about that, and then he talks about the application. He bridges these two things um, by that word, therefore, as we saw, as we saw last week. In, and in light of what God has done for us, we, we then begin to develop the desire to do what God wants us to do. When we see the gospel as what it is, God loving you in, 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 in desiring to reconcile mankind back to Him. It's, it's God not leaving the human race in the condition that we deserve. Right? We deserve hell because we're sinners. We're born with a sin nature. 
But God is not satisfied that we stay there. So what does he do? He sends his son. He dies for our sins. He takes our sin upon him. He becomes sin for us who knew no sin. He becomes sin. He goes to the cross in, 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 in what takes place on that cross. And I know you know that here in this room. What takes place is God's wrath is poured out upon him so that God's wrath does not have to be poured out upon us. That's the good news of the gospel. And when a person understands, they begin to develop this desire to do what God wants them to do. The gospel, a person, once they're saved, should have a desire to serve God because they love God, not because they fear him. And and, and, and this is so important in our study from transitioning from last week into seeing this week. Religion, you serve because you're afraid of what might happen if you don't, right? I want God to be pleased with me, so I'll do everything I can to make him happy. I'll do everything I can so that that he sees me as worthy. Well, Christ did everything on the cross for, for, for God to see you as worthy. Because no longer a person that trusts Christ, no longer does God see them in their sin. He sees them in Christ. And that causes us, then, once we understand what that is, it causes or should cause us to have a desire to do what God desires for us to do. The secret of the gospel change. It's not that we learn the gospel, we're saved by the gospel, and then we learn a a bunch of stuff that we're supposed to do. That's religion. Learn stuff. If I learn all of these things, then God will be pleased. If I try to attempt to do all these things, maybe, maybe then God will look favorably upon me and allow me into heaven. The, the secret of the gospel change is the deeper you go into the glorious story of who God is and what he's done for you, that what happens then is the more you desire to do what God wants you to do. The result of a person that's saved then their result should be recognizing who God is, what he's done. I then want to serve him because of who he is and what he's done. Are we with you with me tonight? How many of you heard that phrase, grow, you grow in Christ? Do you ever hear that phrase? I want to, I want to grow in Christ. It's not, it's not going beyond that, that, Every Christian ought to desire to grow in Christ, but that's not going beyond the gospel but it's growing deeper in the gospel. It's not like, all right, I've got the gospel, that's it, now there's something else. Growing in Christ is growing in the gospel. Understanding the the power that's in the gospel. Understanding the love that's in the gospel. Understanding what God did in, in in, in the strength that we have to live the life that's pleasing the Lord because of the power of the gospel. And you use this analogy, the gospel... The gospel is not a diving board in which we dive off of into Christianity, in this pool of Christianity. The gospel is the pool itself. The gospel is it. It's not like, well, once I have this gospel, now what's next? The gospel is it. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ That's it. That is the pool that we as believers want to grow in and dwell in and learn to have a deeper relationship with the Lord. I 
found this quote. I thought this quote was a great quote. The, the fire to do in the Christian life comes from being soaked in the fuel of what has already been done. The, the fire to do, right? That fire for us to do, the, the fire to live, what's necessary for us to do, to live, to, to, to enjoy the Christian life, um, comes from being soaked in the fuel of what has already been done. What fuel is that? It's the gospel. The gospel has already been done. The work on the cross has already been done. And, and so I want to tonight, I want to, I want to look at Exodus chapter 19. So if you go there with me, and I want, I need you to stay with me on this study tonight because I, I want to look at this, this thought. Last week we looked at the difference between religion and the gospel. And I hope you saw that there's a difference. But I also, and I know the crowd that I'm speaking to, I would say probably the majority, if not every single person that was here last week is saved. But if we're not careful, what we do is we drag religion into the gospel. And instead of us having the joy, instead of us learning and growing in Christ, if we're not careful, we can bring a lot of religious practices into the gospel. And, and we begin to perform, and we, we hear people say often these words, well, I've prayed and I've asked God, and, and God, he won't do for me, and, and so I'm done praying. And, 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 and they walk away. You ever hear that? They've walked away from the faith? What, what they've, what, what's happened is this. Their religious expectations weren't met, and so they've given up. And good people have done that. They get wearied, and it's not how they thought it would be. When you view the gospel in what it is, it's this. You and I deserve hell. But God in His mercy and His grace sent His Son to die, and His Son bore the wrath of God upon Him. He took every single sin that damns me and you to hell, He took that upon Himself on the cross. And that blood then that was shed, that was an atonement for our sin. And because of that, those that trust Christ, they don't have to experience hell. And if you think there's something else that would be better than that, I don't know what it would be. And to think what God did, to think what he gave, then ought to be enough for us. And it satisfies us, and it should satisfy us. That's the gospel. Now, I want to develop a story here in Exodus chapter 19. And I know I preached through this, this chapter probably a year ago now. And, um, and so I don't want to, I, I, I really want to look at the, what's happening here in the life of Israel in chapter number 19. The Bible tells us this, that three months after they were delivered out of bondage of Egypt, they find themselves now in the desert, and they come into the place of the wilderness of Sinai. Verse number one. Verse number three, Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thou shalt say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel. And so we find that three months into this journey, they find themselves at the base of Mount Sinai. This was not an accident or a mistake that they find themselves there. This was a plan of God. Because what God wanted to do is God wanted to lay out for the children of Israel, he wanted to lay out a path or a plan for them to serve him. Right? What happens in Exodus chapter number 20? 
Somebody tell us. Cheat if you have to. What is it? The Ten Commandments, the law. And so what God does is he brings them to Sinai because it's at the place of Sinai that Moses is going to go up. He's going to hear from God, right? He's going to come back down, and what he's going to do is lay out the law. And, and, and it's more than just Ten Commandments. He lays out the law here, and, you know, we, we, he does lay out these Ten Commandments, but, but it's even deeper in, 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 and uh, uh, more than just these Ten Rules. There is, there's a, a law, a way that God desires for Israel to live. All right, and, and we find that here in Exodus chapter 19. And um, we, we find that uh, verse number five, now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And we find something that takes place here that is interesting. When they come to this mount, Moses tells them to clean themselves up. And then, and then God says in verse number 12, And thou shalt set bounds about the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that ye go not into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall surely be put to death. And so what God says to Moses, tell the people that we're going to put some roping or whatever around the mount, and they can't go past that. If you go on the other side of that, then you're going to die. All right. He also, they also, um, uh, experienced this. They, they, um, uh, verse number 16, and it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings. A thick cloud was upon the mount and the voice of the, uh, of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And so I want you to think the awesomeness. Think about the awesomeness of what's happening here. They come to this mountain, Mount Sinai. Moses then, he talks to God, he comes down, he says, now clean yourselves up, and, and I want you to uh, not go past this, because if you go past this, you're going to die, we have to put you to death, this is God's rule, and then the people are standing in awe at this mountain, and thunder comes, and lightning comes, and the smoke fills the, 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 the uh, area above the mountain, and the Bible says that they trembled. They, they're seeing the awesomeness of God. Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke. Now, that's not a smoke break. That was a smoke that was surrounding Mount Sinai. It changed even the look of Mount Sinai when God showed up. And so we have in chapter number 19 just delivered Israel out of Egypt, three months out of of Egypt. They, They now are standing on the spot of Mount Sinai. And God's going to give them these Ten Commandments. And the reason why He's going to give them these Ten Commandments, He's going to show them how to live. That's the purpose here. I want you to be a peculiar people. And in order for that to happen, I'm going to show you. Isn't it great that God doesn't give expectations without giving clearly what His expectations are? We as Christians, we don't have to go through life just trying to figure out, God, are you happy with this? And that, that's, that's part of the, 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 the wonder of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. He speaks to us. He directs us. He guides us. God didn't just save us and say, now figure this out on your own. He's given us the Holy Spirit of God. He's given us the Word of God. Instruction. And so we don't have to guess at it. We don't have to, well, I hope one day I hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, but I have no idea if that can happen or not. No, we know that by following God's plan and yielding ourselves to the Spirit of God, we can hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's not a guessing game as a Christian. 
And so God is going to give out these Ten Commandments. He's going to show them how to live. But, but what, what he does first is he reveals himself to them. Now, please don't miss this. God did not just say, I'm going to give you a list of rules. What God said is, I'm going to give you some things that how I want you to live. But before I do this, I am going to reveal myself to you. Don't miss that. He does it through earthquakes, through thundering, through lightning, through this loud trumpet, through clouds that, that come over this place. Don't, don't miss these things. I'm going to look at something else in the New Testament. And so don't miss what's happening at Mount Sinai. Through, through earthquakes, through thundering, through lightning, through a loud trumpet, uh, the voice of God, through clouds that are covering this place, through boundaries that are set uh, uh, over the base of the mount. Through all of those things, God reveals himself to the people. Before he gives them anything that he desires from them to do, he first says, I want you to know me first. And so this isn't just living a religious life, doing rules, hoping it appeases a God that we don't even know who He is. This is understanding the power of God, realizing the authority of God, seeing what God has done, and because of that, desiring to live a life pleasing to Him. There's a big difference there. And so I want you to see... I want us to look first here in this passage of Scripture, in chapter 19 first. I want us to see what Israel saw at Mount Sinai. Would you, would you let me show you this? Number one, what they saw, write this down or memorize this if, if you're able to do that. He gave them a glimpse of his unimaginable size. He, he, he brought them to a place and he showed them how big he is. He, they come to Mount Sinai and through thunder and lightning and smoke, he consumes this huge mountain because he desired to show the people how big he is. Now, if you think about the size of earth compared to, compared to the, the universe. I mean, earth isn't even that big. And we were, we were flying and, and I've, I've flown quite a, quite a few times. And when you get out, you know, 30,000, 34,000, 35,000 feet and you look out and it's a, not a cloudy day and you can see just how huge the earth is. Then you look down from that high, you couldn't even see a person. But that person that you couldn't even see, that one person, you, that would be just microscopic if we were to compare you to the earth and the earth to the universe, God loves you. Think about that. You are important to God. In the vastness of how big God is, he cares about you. That's huge. You know what he wanted Israel to see? Before he gave them a list of all these rules, that rule, 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 rule. It's all about rules. What he wanted them to see, he wanted them first to see how 
big he is, but he still cares for you. Nature shows us how big God is. We, we see how small we are when we compare ourselves to the size of this universe. You, you, ever, you ever meet someone that exaggerates everything? You know, the, the fisherman that caught a fish like this, but David was like really like this. You know, the, the guy that holds the fish out in the, in the, in the uh, picture because it makes it, look big, big, makes it look bigger. The guy that, you know, he shoots a four-point buck, but he holds it out so far it looks like, you know, a 15-point buck. It's so big, you know, and exaggerates every story. You know, we as humans, we can exaggerate, but you know one thing you can't exaggerate? You can't exaggerate how big God is. We, I play this game with, with, uh, uh, Chloe and the younger girls every, you know, every night. I love you. I love you more. Well, how much you love me? I love you this much. You don't love me that much. If you love me that much, you'd go to bed right now, you know, because I told you to go to bed. No, we can exaggerate. I love you this much. You're this big. You can't exaggerate how big God is. You know what they learned here? He's enormous. He's in control. They learned that he's a God of earthquakes. He's a God of thunder. He's a God of lightning. It's not that he's consuming a small area. He's consuming a massive mountain. They're seeing how big he is. Number two, they, they, they're, they're, they're learning something. And, and this is what we learn about God as well. He shows them his untouchable holiness. You know what he says that to them? There's a boundary here. And anyone that crosses this boundary, they must be put to death. And it's something that we have to learn about God. God is a God of, of, of such infinite perfection that even the slightest sin in his presence leads to immediate punishment. We need to learn something about God. God is, he's, he's holy. He's teaching his people that he's a holy God, that, that, that sin has to be dealt with. Sin has to be paid for. He's teaching them this, that sin cannot be in his presence. Um, the author of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah himself, he, he sees in Isaiah chapter number 6, and, and I'm paraphrasing, but when, when he sees himself next to God, you know what he sees? When he sees himself next to the power of God, he says, Woe unto me, for I'm a man of, uh, that's undone. I'm, I'm unclean. I, 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 I'm nothing compared to an almighty God religion tries to get you to the place where if you're not careful that you become a God. Remember, that was what Satan tried to to get Eve to do. He said to Eve, he said, Eve, the reason why God doesn't want you to touch that, the reason is because he knows that you're going to be like him. And, 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 and we can't, no matter how good we are, no matter how great we become, no matter what success we have in life, nothing of that can merit salvation. Nothing of that can pave our way to heaven. Nothing of that God is at all interested in saying, okay, I'll let you slide by the gospel because you're so good in this area. You're, you, no, God, when you see yourself, you see yourself unclean and undone in the presence of God. And God wanted the people to see that. He's a holy God. We... Um, 
the last couple Sundays, the last Sunday, the Sunday before I left uh, for our trip to Israel, I preached on on hell. And, and you know what the, the reality is? I wish, I wish the doctrine of hell wasn't true. Not because I want the Bible to be untrue. But the doctrine of hell is true. I wish it wasn't. You know why? Because there's not a person that I would want in this world to spend eternity there. Not a person. And if you do, there's something wrong with you. Hell, totally separated from God, paying your sin debt for all of eternity. How anybody could want someone to go there just blows my mind away. Matter of fact, the closer you get to God, the more that keeps you up, the fact that people will spend their entire eternity there without Christ. It cause you to want to do something about that. Share the gospel. Tell people they don't have to go that, that direction. But, but uh, as much as we shudder about the doctrine of hell or might not like the doctrine of hell, the reality is it's true. What hell does and what judgment does, it gives us a picture of the purity and the beauty of God. Because if someone doesn't realize the holiness of God, accept the gospel, they will spend eternity in hell. Hell is what hell is because God is who God is. And hell is what hell is because that is the, the is, is what, what sinning against in, in a beautiful and glorious God deserves. When you see God for his holiness, you know what you understand? That we don't deserve that. That we're unjust. Isaiah, I'm a man. Woe is me. I'm, a, I'm undone. When I see myself as a sinner in the presence of God, I know I don't deserve that. And the people in, in, in Exodus 19, they're seeing the holiness of God. In, in, in number three, the thing that he shows them is his unfathomable grace. He shows them this grace. Listen, we see God for his might and his, his size. We see God for his holiness. And, and we deserve hell because of that. But it doesn't stop there. We also see God in Exodus chapter number 19. You know what he shows the people? He's a God of grace. Undeserving grace. We don't deserve what we get, but you know what we get? We get God's grace. In chapter number four, in, 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 uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, verse number four and five, you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you, uh, into my, unto myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my uh, covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you know what the Bible says? When he spoke this, the Bible tells us they trembled. They trembled at his size. They trembled at his judgment. And he spoke tenderly to them. The response in Exodus chapter 19, and I need to hurry, their response is this. The Bible tells us they believed, and the Bible tells us they trembled. In Exodus chapter 19, they also, in Exodus chapter 24, we find uh, them saying this as well. Their response to him was this, we will do all that the Lord has spoken. When they saw his size, when they saw his judgment, and when they saw his grace, you know what the response was? We'll do. Now that we know who God is, we'll, we'll do all that he's spoken. 
And this was the importance of him showing himself to them first. It wasn't just go to the mount, get a list of rules, and serve those rules, and do it out of duty and out of religion. No, it wasn't about that. Before they got to that place of Exodus chapter number 20, he said, first, I want to meet with you. I want you to, sh- I want to show you who I am and what I've done. I want to show you that I'm a holy God. I want to show you my size, but I also want to show you that I'm a gracious God that speaks tenderly to you that you can depend on, and I will love you. And their response when they saw God was they wanted to obey God. And I believe this, for every believer, every child of God, after seeing God for who he was, they and we ought to both want to obey him. I bring all that, I, I, I say all that to get us to this place Why does a believer want to please God? Because of what he's done and who he is. Not because of this fear. Not because I hope I one day measure up. Not because I'm keeping a list of rules. What did he desire for them to want? Obey him because of who he is. That's what God desires for every Christian. That's the difference between religion and salvation, or religion and the gospel. Religion is a list of rules. Follow these rules. Do it if you don't feel like it. Follow these rules. If you follow these rules, God will be pleased. If you break the rules, watch out. And that's why so many people can follow a religious system, and they get down to the end of their life, and they still say, I hope, I hope, I hope that God accepts me. God cannot accept a person for the religious system because it's not sufficient. One and the only way is for us to see who God who God is and then live our life pleasing to him because we see the, the, the who God is and therefore I desire to obey him. In that moment, in that vision, in that sight, they changed at the desire level. Listen, get this, please. At that moment at Mount Sinai, at that vision of who God is, at the sight that they saw, at that moment, it changed their desire level. No longer did they want to please God for any other reason other than this. I desire Him because of who He is. He's revealed Himself to me. I see who He is. Now, therefore, I desire to please Him. They see the awesomeness of God. They see the beauty of God. They see the grace of God. And because of that, in their heart, they had a desire to serve him. The commandments that he's going to give in Exodus chapter number 20, it's going to tell them where to go. But the vision of God in chapter number 19 gives them the desire to get there. Do you hear that? Exodus chapter 20 tells them where to go. But the fact that they see God, the vision of who God is, that's what gave the children of Israel the desire to get there. I said this last week, if you remember, the, the law of God, it works just like railroad tracks, right? It, it, it points us to the way to go. But the power of grace, the power of the gospel is the only thing that can move the train along those tracks. The law doesn't move you on the tracks. The law just lays out the path to take. Something's got to motivate you to do that. 
What motivates the Christian is the power of God. The more you know God, the more you see His love for you, the more desire than there is to please Him. The real heart change happens through an experience of the beauty and the grace of God. And that's what the people, the children of Israel, that's what they developed here at the base of Mount Sinai. They saw the beauty. They saw the grace. They experienced God. And when they experienced God, they said, we'll do everything you want us to do. Because of who you are, I want to serve you. There is a, an old Puritan pastor, old Puritan preacher, Thomas um, Chalmers, C-H-A-L-M-E-R-S. He had this quote, the expulsive power, the gospel is the expulsive power of a new affection. And, and, and what he meant by this was this, the lesser affections in our lives, temptation to sin, affection to things of this world, the things that our old flesh wants, they'll only be driven out by a more powerful affection. Every single person in this room, something right now tempts you. Everybody. And sometimes we make excuses and we give in to that temptation. And we use the, 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 the excuse, well, it, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm human and, and I just don't have the strength and I don't have the power. And, 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 and so the, the things of this world, temptation to sin, affections to the things of this world, those things draw us away from God. But what this, this old Puritan preacher, what he's saying is this, the only thing that'll drive that out of our life is a more powerful affection. The closer we get to God, the more affection we have to God, the less the things of this world we desire. It isn't that once you're saved, religion, that's why religion can't, can't help anybody. Religion can't give you the power to give up the vices of this world. Religion can't get you to the place where you now can defeat uh, uh, that stronghold in your life. The only thing that can give you that power is the Holy Spirit of God because of salvation through Jesus Christ. And by that, that reason, in my love for the Lord, and the more affection I have for the Lord, the more I desire Him, the more I realize my love for Him and His love for me, what that does, it helps me love Him more and love these things less. And if you want to see your life come into a conformity with God's laws, it comes from a larger passion for God than you have for the things of this world. You know what religion does? Religion doesn't give you a passion for God. Salvation does. The gospel does. And the more passion you have for God, what God was doing to the children of Israel here, he was showing himself, and the more they saw him, the more they had a desire to serve him. You and I change internally when we see God that way. You know what's needed in every single person here in this room tonight? Not more outward things. It's a closer walk with the Lord internally. It's a love for Him. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an ever-increasing knowledge of who God is and to see Him in His holiness and also to see Him in His grace. The problem is this. 
the children of Israel, they were there at Mount Sinai. We can read about it, but we weren't there. They, they saw this. So where do we see God this way as New Testament believers? That mount in that, the, the, the Mount Sinai, it's a dim shadow of another mountain, and that other mountain is Calvary. And that's where we as believers see the power of God that the children of Israel saw at Mount Sinai. On Calvary, we could see the, the, the darkness. If we were there at Calvary, we'd see the, the clouds, the sky darkening. Jesus would endure the thundering judgment of God uh, for our sins. He would endure the lightning of God's wrath. What they experienced there in Mount Sinai is what Christ upon Mount Calvary, when, when we transgressed the, the, uh, uh, the law of, of holiness, when we transgressed God, Jesus died for our transgressions. Matthew chapter number 27, verse number 51 tells us when Jesus died, the earth literally shook. Earthquake. In John 19.30, the last uh, Jesus would, would say, like a trumpet, what did he say? It is finished. That, that, that burning at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, it, it, was a, it, was a, it was a picture of Calvary to come. When Jesus would give us the, the clearest and most complete picture of the glory and the beauty and the mercy of God. Do you see that? Calvary is the most clearest picture of the glory and the beauty and the mercy of God. We don't have to go back to Mount Sinai and see it there. You know where we see it? We see it at the cross of Calvary. And that, that's what ought to motivate. That is what ought to cause every, every person that's visited Calvary or, or trusted Christ as their Savior. They get to see who God is. We fall in love with God's grace and His mercy when we see it through the lenses of Calvary. Jesus, He absorbed Himself the wrath of God. What we deserved. You realize tonight the wrath of God that we deserve that none of us, because of Calvary, have to endure? When we see Jesus that way, our desire for sin ought to be broken. Now hear me, please. I know it goes hot and cold. I know it's getting time to be done here, but I want you to see this, please. When we see Calvary and see God and see Christ, that ought to change our desire for sin in our life. It ought to change our fascination with idols. It it, it ought to change our affection for idols. It ought to drive out because of a much greater and more powerful affection. Do you, do you know, and this, this, this example pales. It pales in the comparison God's love for us. I realize this. But you, you know why there's no other woman in this world? You know why I don't date other women? Not because of this ugly sweater. You know why I don't? Because my affection for my wife. 
I don't have a desire. Do you know why there's no other woman that my eye catches in this entire world? Because of my affection for my wife. And the longer I'm married, you know what? The more I love her. And my affection for her satisfies. My, my affection for her fills desires. And I wouldn't settle for anything less because of my love for her. That pales, I understand, in really relation to what God's love for us is. But listen, the reason we can't control certain desires is because we don't have a weightier desire for God. Just face it. It's not because the gospel isn't powerful. It isn't because God loves someone else more than me, so he, he gives them an out more than he'll give me. No, the reason we can't control certain desires is because we don't have a weightier desire for God. What my salvation does, that's why I said in the beginning, it isn't, well, I'm saved, now I'm moving past that. I, I, I know the gospel, now I'm moving past that. No, the whole Christian life, the whole, the gospel consumes us. You know, it's a constant reminder. It's a constant love for God. It's a constant getting closer to Him and growing closer to Him. And the closer I get with Him, you know what? The least I want things of this world. When his love is so precious to us, when his mercy is so precious to us, when his beauty is so precious to us, you know what happens? I don't desire the things my flesh wants. Listen, the problem, so many people say, but I just lack self-control. The problem isn't we lack self-control. The problem is that we don't have the passion for God, that greater affection that brings into control all these lesser affections. My, le- my affection for him isn't greater than the affection I have for these things of this world. I want, I go after, I desire that which I have greater affection for. And the gospel, the gospel changes us and is the only thing that can change us. To have that affection for God because we see what he's done for us. We see him in his size. We see him in his power. We see him in his holiness. We see him in his judgment, but we see him in his mercy. And when we see him there, like they did in Exodus chapter 19, you know what that does? It causes me to want him. It causes me want to live for him. It causes me to have a desire for him. Ephesians, if you'll turn there and I... Just a few more minutes here and I'll be done. Ephesians chapter number 3. I want to bring us into the New Testament now. We see Exodus chapter 19. I love Paul's writing. You know, Paul Paul was a major studier of the Old Testament. Paul lived his life upon the Old Testament. He was a Pharisee. Pharisee. What did they study? They studied the law. They studied the Old Testament. What Paul does is once Paul saved, when the gospel changed Paul, you know what Paul does? He builds off of the Old Testament. But now what he says is it's not the Old Testament that's going to save you. It's not the law that's going to save you. Matter of fact, you can't be saved by the law. You know what? You know what saves a person now? Paul realizes the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what changes you. 
And Paul now is writing, and he is coming to the place as he's writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. He's writing these epistles in the New Testament for us as New Testament Christians to follow and live by. He says in verse uh, chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse number 17, he says this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. No longer is Paul looking to the law to fulfill. No longer is he looking to uh, uh, the Old Testament to satisfy. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by what? Faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love. What love is that? God's love. We as New Testament believers, we as the gospel, that roots us and grounds us in God's love, in love. That's what changes us. I see everything different now because I'm seeing it through the lenses of how God loves me. And Paul goes on to say in verse number 18, may be able to what? Comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that we ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. How wide, how deep, how far, how long the love of God is for us. Ephesians, just like Romans, the first part of the book of Ephesians, it talks about salvation, the doctrine of salvation, what salvation is. You know what he does? The same thing in Ephesians as he does in Romans. The second part of it, you know what it does? Now application, now that you know what the gospel is, this is how a gospel-centered Christian lives. Now that you see what Christ has done for you, now you ought to have a passion to live for Him. He didn't mix them up. He doesn't say, all right, as long as you do all of these things, you're going to be a good Christian. You first have to do exactly what happened in Exodus chapter 19. You've got to see God for who He is. He doesn't say, here's a list of rules. Try to please me. He says, here I am. Accept me who I am. Accept my love. Accept my mercy. Accept my holiness. And then once you do, then you'll have the power to live for me. And that's what the religion can't do. Listen, we don't just learn facts. Realize that Christianity is not just learning facts. Sometimes, I'll be honest with you, sometimes with our children, what concerns me, because I grew up in church as well, sometimes we just think if we could just get all of it up there in their head, they're going to turn out okay. Listen to me, that's just facts. We've got to get it from their head to their heart. Religion just says, here's the facts. I just repeat these things. And that's why I think sometimes it's dangerous. And, and I'm, all, I'm all for singing songs that we, we know and we memorize. But sometimes I think it's good to get new songs in our heart. You know why? Because sometimes we just go through the motions. Sometimes we could just sing things without realizing it. How many times have you ever sang, I surrender all, and mostly what God wants you're holding on to? But we know every word. I surrender all to Jesus. No, I don't. But I know all the words. God's not interested in a Christian just going through the emotions of religion. He's not interested in all what you can get up in your mind. What He's interested in is your heart. Because if He has your heart, He has all of you. If He has this, He just has information. Don't just learn facts. We as born-again believers, we need to feel God. We need to sense His love. We need, to, we need to have a passion for Him that will bring in control all the lesser things. 
There's so many Christians, and that's why I started this series last week, and I'm going to continue this for several weeks. There's so many Christians, they live powerless lives. I'm not challenging their salvation. I'm just simply saying they're not resting in their salvation. They're not growing in Christ. They're not growing close to the Lord. They're not seeing God as greater. They, they think by just putting something up and, 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 and looking a certain way and singing a certain song or doing something a certain way, if we do this, then God's going to accept us. He's not looking at the outward. He's looking at the inward. He's looking at who you are. I think that it's time that we see that Christianity affects more than just the outward. It first starts with the heart. Do you know somebody that is starts with the heart, somebody close to God, you don't have to tell them. The Holy Spirit of God does. Now, I know that doesn't sit well because there's some people that think, but that's, if I don't tell them, then they'll never get there. Listen, the Holy Spirit's a better Holy Spirit than you'll ever be. And this is the problem in Christianity, I believe, at times. We have, bet, we have played the Holy Spirit so long, most of us wouldn't even know what the Holy Spirit would sound like. Because we've got our rules, we've got our list, we've got the outward going. Inside, we're empty. That's religion. The gospel empowers us. The gospel fills that void in our life. The gospel draws us to God like nothing else can and nothing else will. The gospel empowers us. The gospel gives us the energy and is, is the, is the motive to get us going on the tracks that leads us to the Lord. The difference between religion and the gospel. Listen to this. Religion says go and change. The gospel changes you. Religion says, go change. The gospel says, I do it for you. Jesus did it. There's nothing more you can do to merit salvation. There's nothing more you can do to merit acceptance in God's eyes. What Jesus did upon the cross, it's it. Write this in your heart, please. What we most need is to see God. Because if we're not careful, church, we can go through all the motions and we never even see God. We just check things off a list. Everything must be good because we do all these things. And listen, sometimes Christians can gather and God's nowhere to be found. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, go there with me, and that's my last passage of Scripture. I want to look at another passage of Scripture that Paul points out to us. 2 Corinthians, you with me? Everybody okay? Am I preaching heresy? Dave, am I preaching heresy? All right, good. Dave would know. Trust him. Listen, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. But we all, with open face, beholding in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by what? Keeping the law? Doing religious things? No. How are we changed? By the Spirit of the Lord. 
That right there is the difference between religion and the gospel. The gospel, you're changed by the Spirit of God. By beholding the glory of the Lord. Listen, true gospel change is not a list of things you need to do for God. We've got to stop thinking that. We've got to stop, stop teaching our children that. It's not, it's not a list of things we need to do for God. True gospel change is being overwhelmed by the what? The glory of God to the extent that it brings into captivity all other passions. And the only way that can happen is the Spirit of God that dwells inside of us. Listen, I don't have the, I don't have the strength to fight the old man. I can only say no so much, and guess what? Eventually he'd win. I can try to curve my, my, my sinful appetite for so long, but guess what? If I'm doing it in my own strength, if I'm doing it under the uh, disguise of religion, if I'm doing it for, 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 for acceptance, you know what? Finally, at some point, I'm going to weary, I'm going to tire, and I'm going to quit. But that right there, you say, but that's pretty defeating. That's why we have the gospel, the power of the gospel. I can live a victorious life. I can live where sin doesn't control me. I can live where, where, where I'm overwhelmed by what the glory of God to the extent that it brings into captivity all other passions. It's not me inside of me. It's the Holy Spirit of God. And that's why we've got to be careful. A motivational preacher that says, you just, you just try harder next time. You dig it up inside of you. Listen, it's nowhere to be found inside of you outside of the gospel. Gospel. Only the gospel gives you salvation through Jesus Christ. Only the gospel is what fills you with the, the, the spirit of the living God. And only the gospel then is what can give you victory over your flesh. Nothing else. There's no program. There's no list of rules. Because you can't fix yourself. Only God can. God's glory, I'm done with this. God's glory and God's approval are enough. We should live that way because of the gospel. You know, so many people live life for approval of others. And if you don't believe that, ask yourself at times why you do what you do. You know, I, we exaggerate, we lie, because we want someone to think that we're better. Right? Why do we get angry? Because somebody's smarter than us. And I don't want anybody to be smarter than me. I don't want anybody to one-up me. I don't want to go through life and somebody not... And I live my life, if I'm not careful, trying to get other people to think I'm better than who I really am. And I'm not. And neither are you. What the gospel does, the gospel says, you know what, don't be worried about man's approval. Be worried about God's approval. Listen, lesser affections are driven out by a greater passion for God. And that passion for God is created by learning of his passion for me. I end with this thought. You ever hear anybody say this? I don't care what other people think. You ever hear anybody say that? Have you ever said that? Matter of fact, I think we ought to care what other people think once we're a testimony of God. We should care. We should want people to think we're honest and of good report. We should want that. I don't need to care less of what people think about me. I need to care more of what God cares about me. I don't need to think less 
of what people think about me. I need to care more of what God cares about me. And that's what the gospel does. The gospel causes you to see yourself in relation to who God is, what he's done for you. And you know what I want to do? I want to serve him. Why do I go to church? Just to check it off the box? You know what? Sooner or later, you get tired of coming to church. It doesn't matter who's preaching. You'd have enough. Why do I give? Just to check it off the box. Listen, sooner or later, you'll say, I, I, I can't afford to give. Why do I serve? Just so that God one day isn't upset with me? No. I do these things. I, 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 I come and, and serve and I come and I give and, 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 I, and I tell others about Christ. Why? Because I see who God is. He's met with me. He's shown me like He showed the people first. I don't serve Him because I'm afraid of Him. I serve Him because I love Him. And that changes. That's what the gospel change inside of us is. That's what it does to us. As I said, church, we want to be very careful, whether it's in our academy, whether you homeschool, whether you send your kids to a public school, whether you Sunday school, wherever it is, we want to be sure that we're not just raising religious children in our church. Because if we are, they'll walk away. Because there's no joy in that. There's no fulfillment in that. We need to teach them the power of the gospel. We need to teach them to be fulfilled in the gospel, to serve because of who God is. I don't want my children to obey me because they're afraid they're going to get caught. And somebody says, well, that's enough. <laughs> At least they obeyed me. That's not a reason. Because you know what they'll do the moment they know or they convince themselves they won't get caught, Brother Bill? They'll disobey. If I can be assured I'm not going to get caught, I don't have to behave that way. But if they love me, they won't want to disappoint me. They'll want to please me. And they will behave correctly because of their love, not because of their fear. And that's what the gospel does. And that's what the gospel ought to be doing in us. That's the change the gospel makes that religion can't make.